Welcome to Honest Money, your best guide to financial freedom. I'm Warren Ingram, the author of a few best-selling books, and I'm also an award-winning financial planner, and I've helped thousands of people on their journey to financial freedom. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I am here to share my experience and the best ideas that I've learned, and I hope these ideas help you on your journey to financial freedom. Honest Money is proudly sponsored by Outsurance. Saving on your car insurance can start by SMSing CAR to 30165. If Outsurance can't beat your current premium, you can ask them to give you 500 Rand. And if you've been claim free and with the same insurer for three years or more, ask them for 1,500 Rand. Whether it's a saving or possible cash in your pocket, you always get something out. And that's the honest truth. Outsurance is a licensed insurer and FSP. T's and C's apply. 50 cents per SMS. Welcome to Honest Money. I'm really excited to, to have a guest that's been on the show with us before, uh, the, the Finance Ghost. Thanks so much for, for joining us again. Thanks, Warren. Thanks for having me back. So, so I thought this time around, you know, we, we focused quite a lot on side hustles before, but I thought that this time I'd love to get some of your insights around, around kind of more personally around the, the financial freedom or personal finance parts of life, because I think, you know, side hustles intersect with money quite a lot. Uh, and, and so I thought that was a, a great one to kind of get you back and, and chat about. Uh, you had so much information for us last time that I, I know you're going to have some gems for us on, on the show as well. So, so just as a starting point, you, you, uh, you let slip in the last show that uh, that you're a dad. So, so what's it like running, uh, you know, doing your day job, having a side hustle, and being uh, a parent? It's incredibly hard, but at the same time, to have a lockdown baby is something totally unique because I've literally been part of his life every day, most of the day since he was born, which is now four and a half months ago. And there aren't many dads who can say that. That's for sure. There aren't even many moms who can say that, actually. So I feel very, very privileged to have had that time with him. Um, it has been difficult. There were times where you almost can't believe how much time a newborn can take. And obviously with lockdown, you've got limited help, if anything, from friends, family on you know, the other side of the country. Um, so that gets, that gets pretty difficult. But yeah, I think for a long time, I just didn't take any time off during the week, literally a couple of hours genuinely uh, i think people underestimate what it takes to actually have a day job have a family and do these side hustles it's really easy from the outside but it's not easy from the inside but it can be done you've just got to be very disciplined well well congratulations you have my admiration and so uh, you know leading up to this journey uh, was this something that you that, that you kind of sat down and, and planned out financially as well you know around this or was this something that you just dived into uh, no, we planned it out. Um, much to my wife's frustration, I probably planned far too much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, babies are not cheap. So it was something we definitely planned. Um, I remember having debates with people and saying, if you don't have 10 grand a month, don't do it yet, if you can help it. And people don't understand where that 10 grand goes. And I can tell you 10 grand is probably too little if you actually cost everything. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's something that we've waited for. Uh, we've been married for over six years now, so we didn't just dive straight in. And I'm glad we did, although it would have been fine if we hadn't. I mean, you, I think you make it work. You always make it work. But yeah, there are certain things that do make it easier. You know, when you're not counting every penny when you're going to the doctor or when you need to buy supplements or when you find yourself needing to buy a baby formula and you had no idea what that costs until you actually see it. 
Um, that's my biggest heartbreaker of the lot. Yeah, nappies, but the, there's something so heartbreaking about the formula. You know, you go, to the, you go to the shop to go and buy it and they inevitably have a security ring around the formula. And that just kills me because it shows you, you've got these desperate parents out there where breastfeeding hasn't worked out. They need to buy formula and they can't. And that, that, that kills me. That is one of the hardest things I've, I've seen in my life now as a parent where you know what it feels like when you have a crying, hungry baby. Now, I'm lucky enough that I can feed him. Not everyone's in that position. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it, there's some scary things in this world. And, and so, uh, yeah, I just want to stay on that 10,000. That 10, so, so just, in other words, that's 10,000 rand extra per month that, a, that, a, that, that parents need inside their normal budget. So whatever they're spending on their normal life before baby, make sure that they've got 10,000 a month on top of that for, for what baby costs. And, and that couldn't, couldn't necessarily fit into something one would plan. It'll be things that just happen to you through, through, through not every month, but through the year. Yeah, and a lot of it is annuity. A lot of it is going to happen whether you like it or not. I mean, either one of you is going to stop working or you're going to get childcare. And stopping working is much more expensive than getting childcare. So any childcare is going to cost you at least four and a half, five grand a month. Um, people who have nannies are paying six or 7,000 rand a month. You can see how quickly you get to 10. You know, it's extra medical aid costs. It's silly things like, oh, gut health drops that you put in the formula that can be 250 rand a month very quickly you know nappies uh everything just furniture for the nursery i mean if you actually were to think about it financially it makes no sense but obviously that's not how you assess you know whether or not you should have a baby because it's the greatest thing you could ever do so it's more about planning for it and actually not being shocked then when it costs what it costs i think people like to underplay it and i think they don't measure it properly they they don't realize what all of the costs actually are. Um, and then of course there's the really scary one, which is one day you need to educate this little person. And unfortunately we live in a country that is gently going backwards, um, sometimes not so gently. And that's particularly daunting because schooling is just so important. And I worry for what state the universities might be in 18 years from now, I really do. Uh, a lot of people I know are, tr are trying to save up to send their kids overseas to study and then you're talking millions. So. Yeah, that's particularly worrying. So, so just to jump onto onto some of the broader personal finance topics before we get too personal about you, I guess. Uh, what's your attitude to to debt in in the world of of financial freedom and, and personal finance? So, I find in general, people there's, there's a lot of schools of thought, but you often see people beating this drum of don't spend on experiences, don't spend money, save every cent you can, never ever take debt. And look, maybe for people who are not necessarily that financially literate, that's probably not terrible advice. Um, it's much the same as being forced to put your money into a big company pension scheme where you have no control over it. So I understand that for a lot of people, that probably is the right thing to do. I personally have very actively managed debt quite well. Um, I broke every rule in the book in March and borrowed money to buy shares. Shock horror. I can almost imagine what everyone thinks right now. As things currently stand, I'm up probably 70, 80% of my portfolio and I've paid three, 4% interest since then. So that's okay. I'll take that return every day of the week. But again, I think it's about knowing what you're doing, understanding the risks, definitely, and not borrowing for crazy things. I mean, I've never in my life bought clothes on credit and never will. Um, I have a particular weakness for cars. So that's probably, you know, my, uh, my kryptonite, I suppose, but we all have things in life that we love. Borrowing money to buy a house is fine. I mean, you need to live somewhere. Um, 
renting versus buying is another topic, of course, but at least it's healthy debt because there's an asset underneath it. As much as I love cars, I always buy secondhand. I've never bought a new car. I never will buy a new car. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's about just managing it carefully and just saying to yourself, do you actually need this asset? Or do you really want it? Is it going to bring you a lot of value in your life? And if so, does it make sense to take debt against it? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. I don't think there's necessarily a blanket answer. I wouldn't say I'm scared of debt. Definitely not. I think it can be used. It can be used properly to take your lifestyle to where you want it. You've just got to understand it properly. So I think um, I'm going to give I'll give a slightly uh, wider perspective, to, just because I'm scared now that a whole lot of people are going to go and borrow money to buy shares. Uh, and so I think that, you know that uh, it's something I've talked about in the past, and I, I think it for certain people who um, do the research, do the homework correctly around around whatever the asset is that they that they want to buy on debt, it can work. It can be a weapon of wealth creation. Um, as you say, you know, financial literacy is one thing, and I think so, so the knowledge base is important. But, but the other aspect of that is also being truthful to yourself to know that you've got the discipline to, to, to borrow the money for the right reasons. Um, you know, and I think a lot of the time people might understand the theory, their spreadsheet tells them that if they borrow this money, they, they, the spreadsheet says they're going to make lots of money and then they just do it without actually being realistic around the, the models. Um, and I think it does work. I, I mean, certainly, you know, the, the, you know, you, you're giving us a good example, and, and our, there are lots of people in South Africa that have done well with with debt. But sadly, uh, there are probably many more examples of not just uh, people who are not financially literate, people who are really bright and, and have all the financial background, but aren't disciplined, aren't honest with themselves about about the models, and and then they use that that debt badly, um, and then debt becomes a weapon of wealth destruction. And I think for me, that's always the the frightening thing. And, and I, I agree with you. I percent around you know taking on debt for consumable things you know but you know borrowing money to go on holiday or borrowing money to buy clothes or, or anything you know, any store card debt for me is just a no-no uh, cars yes yeah, so, so cars i guess is, is a typical south african male thing we uh, we tend to overspend on cars it's just in general we have to own it and, and know it uh, and and either avoid the temptation altogether or as you say make it part of your Kind of lifestyle costs as opposed to to convincing yourself that it was a good financial decision it's always a terrible financial decision but you might get a life benefit out of it yeah funnily enough the classic cars are my particular passions so funnily, if you do that properly you actually come out in the green and you've really enjoyed the journey along the way but that's a very very specific thing i mean the blanket advice is right and i think on the borrowing to buy shares point the other important point and i don't mind sharing this is it was out of my access bond as a result of years of saving every bonus I got into my bond. And there was suddenly this one in a hundred years opportunity where the last 10 years where I was potentially doing side hustles or spending a, you know, a deposit on a house and wasn't necessarily in the equity market as much as I would have liked. Suddenly in March, there was this opportunity to just reset by 10 years, if not more. And then I said, okay, this is perfect. I've been saving this money for so long. Let's take it out the access bond and let's, and let's throw it in. So, you know, maybe that's important to actually, uh, you know, share something like that is the way I look at personal finance is a lot like a company, an investment holding company would maybe look at its affairs. So it's just about growing your net asset value. As long as that's ticking up every month by an amount that you've given yourself a target for, then you're okay. So whether that's happening because you're paying off your debt or because your shares have performed well, or because you were smart and you didn't buy that shiny new car for 700K that will be worth 400K in a year and a half. Uh, it doesn't matter what the reason is. You know, It might be because you got a good bonus or your salary went up. As long as it's ticking up, that's, that's the main thing for me, is hitting those, uh, those net asset goals. 
Yeah, I think that's a, it's a, a powerful point that, you know, I mean, uh, the, the net asset value. So a lot of the time people will, will be impatient to start saving and start investing. Uh, and, and then they try and pay off their debts more slowly and, and be, because they're, they're just focused on the asset side of that and not the net asset side. So I think it's a good point, you know, as long as, you know, if, you, if you've got your, your debts uh, is, is 10 and your assets 100, uh, you know, paying off your debt builds the net asset value because it's the 100 minus the 10. And I think that's a critical uh, factor for people to focus on. So I, lo- I love that point. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the things that we, we focus on a lot here is, is around how to invest and where to invest. So you've, you mentioned shares. Is that sort of your default way of, of investing? So historically, it wasn't. Historically, I just did uh, the sort of usual Satrix monthly situation. And then I actually decided... Part of that was a function of my previous role, which was in an investment banking context. It becomes a lot harder to invest in specific stocks because you're sitting on so much inside information all the time. And you can have a big position in a stock and suddenly the CEO walks through your door and needs advice. And now you're an insider and now you're going to sit for 18 months in that stock because obviously it's illegal to act on inside information. So for that exact reason, I was typically just buying market trackers. Only this year, I decided to actually get more active with my money and have a bit of fun with it as well. So I opened an Easy Equities account, which is brilliant. I mean, everyone talks about it and it's for a reason. It just works. It really does. You can't trade on it because, you know, the platform's not always reliable and it doesn't have live pricing. But in terms of wealth creation and investing, it's it's probably unrivaled. So I started doing that. Then I started dabbling in some offshore stuff as well. So I buy a few tracker funds as a nice underpin for the portfolio. And then when I have a reasonable amount of conviction on a company, and I don't spend a million years analyzing each one, because if I'm investing a few thousand rand, by the time I've spent 20 hours analyzing that company, I should have spent that 20 hours mowing people's lawns and I would have made more than I have actually invested in the company. Um, So some of it's gut feel, some of it is deep analysis and a combination of trackers and specific companies. I must say I'm a, I'm a big tracker fan because my individual share picks over my, over my last 25-year career uh, haven't necessarily worked out as well as my tracking, my tracking calls. I'm always happy to, to have the trackers in my portfolio, so I, I agree with that 100%. And, and so uh, what's your biggest personal finance mistake? One of the startups that I got involved in, invest, I invested too much initially without knowing if the thing was going to work and I've never really recouped that money so I would say that's probably the one mistake however it's actually picking up again so I think there's there may well be light at the end of that tunnel funnily enough outside of that I've never bought like I say brand new shiny German cars and 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 walked a 300,000 rand depreciation road I mean there's just no coming back from that stuff it just destroys your net worth horribly uh, I've been lucky. Uh, oh, there's one thing. I, I bought property in Johannesburg when I lived there, which was a bad move. It was a flat. You know, I, I kind of grew up and everyone tells you, buy property. This is how you make it in life financially. This is the sign of success. So off you go as a young uh, 22, 23-year-old just starting your professional life and you buy your first flat and you think this is going to be fantastic. And unfortunately, as I will now tell anyone willing to listen, unless you are going to hold that property for probably a decade, or you have bought in the greatest bull market known to man, which we are currently not in, uh, you're just not going to get the money back on the fees on the way in and the way out. Transfer duties on the way in hurt you so badly and an estate agent on the way out. And by the time you actually work it out, you could have just rented and you would have saved money. So the house really just becomes a lifestyle choice. I always say to people, the house you live in is for your lifestyle. It's so no one can kick you out and you can paint the walls purple if you want, even though you probably shouldn't. 
versus renting and, and moving every couple of years and everything else. And I think it's a decision that a lot of South Africans are currently going through regarding financial immigration, myself included, is do, I, do we hang on to our houses or not? Having said that, I've seen data that the house market's really picked up again thanks to low interest rates. So it seems like a lot of people are comfortable to buy and, and to carry on in South Africa, which is great to see. I think it's a. Um, I think it's a great, a great uh, point to close on. You know, fr- from my perspective, I agree. I think um, a house is a great, uh, a great asset for the family, for for your lifestyle. Uh, if you treat it as an investment, you might well be disappointed. Uh, but but certainly, anyone who plans to live in a property uh, in the same property for the next eight or ten or fifteen years, probably a good idea to buy. But if you're planning on moving every three years, be, be a happy renter. Well, Finance Ghost, uh, thanks so much for joining us. It was a great show. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, and I think our listeners will too. Thank you for listening to Honest Money. If you have any questions, you're welcome to reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at Warren Ingram. Don't forget to subscribe. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Chat soon. Honest Money is proudly sponsored by Outsurance. Saving on your car insurance can start by SMSing CAR to 30165. If Outsurance can't beat your current premium, you can ask them to give you 500 Rand. And if you've been claim free and with the same insurer for three years or more, ask them for 1,500 Rand. Whether it's a saving or possible cash in your pocket, you always get something out. And that's the honest truth. Outsurance is a licensed insurer and FSP. T's and C's apply. 50 cents per SMS.